Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Blurb, where the back of a book meets a discerning look. Each week, best-selling author Sally Shields and publishing guru Dr. Kent listen to pitches from five authors vying for Book of the Week honors. Now live, on the air, with vigor and style, are Dr. Kent and Sally, the Bibliophiles. Hello, hey, Bibliophiles. Oh, we <laughs> talked to each other at the same time. Now, that was a mistake. How are you doing? I'm doing just fine. How are, how are the, uh, the, how's, how's the other half of the Bibliophile team today? Well, I'm a little bibliophobic this week. I've been buried in books. Oh, my goodness. You mean you had too many books that you were reading? Too many. They were all over the place. They're, oh, they're my scattered gosh. all over my house. They're, they're um, <laughs> you know, covering up. Uh, they're up neck deep in my office. Invasion of the books of the book snatchers. Yeah. So how how are you doing this week? Everything's okay. Everything's good. It's uh you know, it's one of those times where things are just sort of like everybody's trying to get their schedule together. The kids are having all these weird kind of scheduling things. You know, my son is getting eased into nursery school and there's all these crazy hours. First it's an hour this day, then it's two hours this day and I can't keep track of it all. My head is spinning. So this is a this is a welcome change for you then. <laughs> it certainly is. Come the second week of October, um, I will officially have two children in school, and that will be uh, seven years uh, waiting. So um, I am looking forward to, to that sort of new phase of life. Well, we got five blurbs on the air today. Uh, we're we're doing a business show, oh, and uh, great. this is of course your favorite category, right? I I love business books. But see, before the last business show, you weren't a big fan, right? And now you're a huge fan. It totally changed my mind because I had a, I had a preconceived notion of business books, and then I realized that um, no, that's what I that those are the types of books that really catch my attention. And uh, I we had a bunch of impressive blurbs last time. You did indeed. And so let's let's uh, let's start out the show with listening to a great blurb. Which one of these do you think will be great? Let's start with Dave and Lillian Brumet. Brumet. Uh, let's listen to this. All right. Um, and here's our first blurb in the business category. Purple Snowflake Marketing, How to Make Your Book Stand Out in a Crowd, is a reference guide for self-marketing authors who want to be noticed in the snowstorm of writers. Originally released in 2007 by Canadian authors Dave and Lillian Brummett, the first edition was quickly embraced by publishers, writers, and publicists. Sixteen months after the first edition was released, the book had made it onto the recommended reading lists of a dozen writing courses. Dave and Lillian are proud to announce the release of the second revised edition of Purple Snowflake Marketing through the Book Locker Publishing Company and their affiliates. Check out the website for details at www.brummett.ca. That's B-R-U-M-M-E-T dot C-A. With 19 chapters and 25 appendices, this ebook is a means for authors to design an effective marketing plan and utilize frugal promotional tools with the click of a mouse. Purple Snowflake Marketing provides reassurance to authors with ample advice for avoiding pitfalls by setting a pace for marketing endeavors. Authors of most genres will find this an inspiring, essential component for marketing their own books in a way that suits their unique situation. Order the book at www.booklocker.com. Purple Snowflake Marketing, 
makes use of breaks and ample headings to break up the monotony of learning. The book provides over 900 free and frugal promotional opportunities, including search engine submissions, website promotion, press release distribution, book announcements, ads, and much more. Purple Snowflake Marketing will change how authors approach their next manuscript. They will write more specifically for their targeted audience, and this will change the whole process right from the start. Check out the Brummett's website for details at www.brummett.ca. Between the two, Dave and Lillian are authors, poets, photographers, and book reviewers. Their work has appeared in a variety of publications around the globe. The Brummets have published two other books, Towards Understanding and Trash Talk. These two books can be purchased in print format and are soon to be available as revised or updated second editions in ebook format as well. Dave and Lillian also manage two online radio shows, Conscious Discussions and Authors Read. As well, they offer a free monthly opt-in newsletter. To sign up for this newsletter, simply visit their site, click on the contact button and ask to be added to the newsletter mailing list. Their business, Drummit Percussion, offers lessons, group workshops, and repairs. Dave's graphic design, photography skills, and musical talents play a part in all aspects of the Drummit's work. Once again, check out the website for more details at www.drummit.ca. That's B-R-U-M-M-E-T dot C-A. Well, that was very interesting. Um, there's a few things I've got to say. What do you think? I would love to hear what you have to say. Well, um, I really enjoyed the music at the beginning. Um, you know, it, it felt, uh, you know, inspiring, exciting. But towards the end, I, I, I started to get distracted by the music. I think it was mixed a little bit too high, and it sort of drowned out his voice a bit. I, and there was so much great information going on at the end where we could find out more and all this stuff that I think the music got in the way at, at that part. Uh, but there was some great information in there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I thought that um, it's interesting. It, it's an e-book. So we've never had somebody on the show that just had, was promoting just an e-book. Um, but it sounded like it was really chock full of a lot of fantastic information. I would have personally liked to have heard a few exa- like specific examples. Um, he, he he did talk a lot about how you know it could help design an effective marketing plan, and he, he spoke the name of the book over and over, which I appreciated. Purple Snowflake Marketing. He said it maybe three or four times, which was good. It definitely reinforced it. You know, he, he said things like set a pace for marketing endeavors, inspiring. You know, to your unique situation. Um, Nine hundred free and frugal offerings. It would have been nice to have like a, a couple of examples, perhaps. Like, well, how exactly are you going to? You know, what are some of the highlights of how uh, a self-published author can market their book? Or not not necessarily self-published, but how any author can market their book. What are some examples? But Absolutely. I did like how he did um, bring in the fact that him and his wife or his partner um, are, you know, they're, they're very uh, creative people. They're authors, poets, photographers, book reviewers, and they have a radio show. So they have a lot going on. You tend to sort of want to gravitate towards them because they obviously have a, a wide range of creativity. So... I absolutely thought it was it was a very decent blurb. And in the business category, we get so many different um, kinds of shows, and uh, it, it's great to hear a show that supports authors in that category. Yeah, exactly. Indeed, as as we like to do here on Blurb. So let's listen to um, another blurb. Uh, this is by Danny Kafka. Uh, great name and hopefully a great blurb. It's also in the business category. It seems as if we are constantly hearing how tough times are right now, and for some I know they are. 
I know many of you are thinking that it would be great to save money for retirement and live a wealthy life, but you just don't make enough to do so. Well, I am here to tell you that you can. My name is Danny Kofke, and I am the author of the book, How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. I currently teach special needs children in Georgia. My wife, Tracy, was a school teacher before becoming a stay-at-home mom to my two young daughters. That's right. We have two children and make it on a teacher's salary. Not only do we make it, but I like to think we thrive on my teacher's salary. You see, in addition to be able to have Tracy stay home, we have no debt except our house, which we actually just refinanced to a 15-year term, which will save us almost $100,000 off of our original 30-year loan. We have a one-year emergency fund in place, invest so that we will retire with a sizable nest egg and live a wealthy life on a teacher's salary. I feel that my family is in this position because of my profession. How many teachers do you know get into the teaching profession to make a lot of money? Not many, I bet. If they did, their college professors definitely lied to them. While teachers will never make what Tiger Woods does in one year, we can still retire pretty comfortably. In addition, many of us love our jobs. There are so many people out there that hate getting up in the morning and going to work. On Monday morning, they're hitting that snooze button five to ten times just because they don't want to face the day. That is not the case for many teachers. In fact, according to a recent social survey, teaching ranks among the top ten most gratifying jobs. These same people that dislike their jobs and don't want to get up in the morning are probably some of the ones that ran up credit card debt and bought things because they thought it would make them happy. I know that having new things does make you feel better for a little bit, but this feeling eventually goes away. When I put on a brand new shirt, it does feel good, but after wearing it a few times, it becomes old. If my happiness depended on items, I would be in a vicious cycle of buying things to make me feel better. Did you know that according to a 2006 study done by the National Education Association, 50% of teachers quit the profession within five years because of poor working conditions and low pay? I didn't want other teacher didn't want other teachers to be part of that 50%, so that is why I decided to write my book. In it, I show how this 33-year-old school teacher has done very well on his salary. I was actually part of that 50%. I had the opportunity to double or triple my salary a few years ago. I decided to take this risk and became a flooring salesman. After two months of trying to sell flooring, I realized that I was meant to teach. I even sat down with my wife, and we realized that even if I made $1 million a year selling flooring, I was not as happy as I was in the classroom. Some of you might be in a similar situation. Maybe you're not a teacher, but you might be a firefighter, a police officer, a nurse, or some other career that you do partly or mainly just for the love of it, and you're not there just for the money. I would uh, love to show you that you can still do well on a teacher's salary or any other moderate income, and that wealth does not always mean how big your bank account is. Great blurb. Um, I think one thing that uh, I would have liked at the very end is to hear his book title again. Oh, good point. I, I, let's see, what was it exactly? And um, I, I can't remember it. I, I know that oh. I really liked his book. I liked the concept, but my, my brain isn't... Uh, oh, I think uh, I remember. It was How to Survive and Perhaps Thrive on a Teacher's Salary. I remember it now because I was thinking, well, why did he have the word perhaps? In there is that the is that the um, subtitle or the title? I think that's the title of his book. Hmm. How to survive and perhaps thrive on a teacher's salary. Right. Well, his 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 uh, blurb was very compelling. Uh, he told me his story. He he um, got a lot of information in there. It got me excited about it. Um, but I can't connect the dots. 
That's the problem. Hmm, you know I, I, I liked it. You know why I liked it? I liked it because I felt that he was he was a um, he was what's the word I'm looking for? He was a spiritual person that that you know he was more interested in doing what he loves to do, and the message is very clear. I felt that the message there was clear. If you love what you do, you can still be happy, and it's not all about you know buying new things. And one of the ways to save money and save for your future and be comfortable is to recognize that you know new things and the feeling of buying is is a fleeting feeling. And I felt like it was it had a spiritual message that was underlying the whole thing, and and I, I liked that a lot. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. But then I'd ask you, where do you buy the book? Ah, where do you buy the book? Well, I guess people assume that that you can get the book on Amazon, but true, he should have made that clear where you can buy the book. Right, and um, and again, just at the end, just saying the title again, and but the but like it was certainly compelling. I mean, it was full of information, had a great story. You know, I was excited about it. I wish I would, you know, like I, I don't retain I don't retain things like titles, so you need to right. leave it on the tip of my tongue at the very end of your blurb so that I can go out and Google it. Exactly. Well, I liked it also because he, he did something that the media really loves, which is that he, he tied it into something timely, which is how times are tough. Obviously, that's something that people are thinking about every day. He also gave a slew of, of um, statistics, which, again, the media absolutely love. If you're going to get on radio, you need to have a bunch of statistics about your topic, which he did. I think he talked about um, it was the top ten most gratifying job was teaching. And, and in 2006, there was a study that 50% of teachers quit because of the low pay and bad working conditions and he had a bunch of those in there and I thought that was very compelling as well right and I did just google him uh, and I found his book and it's how to survive on a teacher's salary and the part of his title um, that says and perhaps thrive is in um, you know very small print kind of as a as a, a side thought uh, within the title so that might you know that might be a a hint too is to, you know, market this book is how to survive on a teacher's salary, and then put in, in parentheses and perhaps thrive. I think um, that just removing the word perhaps might even be good. Like how to survive and thrive on a teacher's salary. What could yeah. be more than more clear than that? And I really like his his cover has a little apple on top of a stack of of money. And I, I mean the whole premise of the book is brilliant. I've not, you know, again in the business category, it's so wide. There's so many possibilities. I love, I love this concept that you can be earning very little money per year and still putting stuff away and living rich and having a great life. Yeah, I love that underlying message, and um, I just googled it as well, and it, it's great. Yep, there's a there's a green apple on top of a, I don't know, is that a twenty? <laughs> a stack of twenties, little oh, little tiny yes. stack. Very might cool. be sixty no. bucks, might be eighty bucks. You never know. And and you know me, I like I like a lot of white on a cover, and wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yes, indeed. So let's. So I'm excited about his his blurb. Uh, I think you know the only thing that I really found flaw with was again just um, you know I wish I would have heard that that title another time. Um, I actually googled his name because I have his name here. Um, um, so yeah, but but great job. Um, Let's listen to another one um, and see see what we get next time. Um, uh, how about let's listen to Tom Markhart, and I know I'm saying that incorrectly. Let's see if he says his own name, and then we'll know how to say it. Here we go. Tom Markhart in the business category. Love Talk Radio. I am the Profit Repairman, and my mission is to increase the success rates of businesses by accomplishing my goal of reach, teach, and send. I care about small and mid-sized businesses 
and the crisis which is affecting them, because they are the backbone of this country's economic and future growth. In fact, 24 million businesses have less than 20 employees. 80% of them fail, and this devastation affects you, me, and this country tremendously. This must change today in order for our future tomorrows. I address this crisis and offer over 50 rock-solid corrective action plans in my newest business book called My Little Black Book to Success. By identifying core areas for businesses to increase their success rate, I offer proven blueprints in operations, sales and marketing, human resources, and accounting departments. Drawing from my experience as a successful business owner and consultant, I give hands-on, ready-to-implement strategies to increase the bottom line, change flat revenue growth, and save your company's faith. The top reasons why my little black book to success can benefit you my book is dedicated and directed to 99% of all businesses. My book provides you with answers to be successful in this recession. There is at least one takeaway that you can and will receive by utilizing my book to change your life and your business. My book is very user-friendly for you with easy-to-understand examples and analogies. And lastly, my book can impact your life today, your future, and the solution-driven action plans found in them can be implemented that very day after receiving them. In closing, let my advice in my little black book to success help you to stop biting your nails and start sharpening your claws today. We win as one. That was great. I thought so too. I thought there was one thing, I mean, look, it's so good. We're going to talk about all the good things about it, but there's one thing that kind of stood out that was a little bit off-putting, tiny, tiny bit, and you can tell me if you disagree or not, but you know how we always talk about try to please everybody and you please no one? Hmm. Well, he, he talked about how this book was directed to 99% of all businesses, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, everybody's got a different you know, angle and niche. How can he possibly help 99% of all businesses? He doesn't even know what the businesses are how could it possibly affect everybody so that was just a teeny tiny little thing that stuck out i'm thinking well maybe it was a little bit um uh i don't know Um, slightly overinflated i I like i like at the very end when he said sharpen your claws um because i think that is one i mean you know there is a possibility that he could hit all businesses um with things like sharpen your claws you know as a as a businessman myself i know that that's one of the first hard knock lessons you learn is sharpen your claws, you know, defend yourself, um, you know, get out there, but, but be able to, to you know, uh, and he also, one thing that I was very impressed by was um, he, he kind of like you do, actually, at the very beginning, he said, I'm the profit repairman. And you, you say the same thing, you have sort of a, um, um, a name for yourself that people can remember right off the bat uh, before you say your actual name. Yeah, it's nice to have a little, uh, I guess, with, not a handle, but what do you call a little, I don't even know what they call it, just a little name, a cute little name that will distinguish you because it's funny, I'm always surprised at how I will remember the titles of books and so many times I won't remember the name of the author and it surprises me. But as an expert and as an author, the way to get more publicity and the way to get more recognition and to get people to remember who you are is to oftentimes to come up with a cute little name like that. Like, I am the such-and-such expert, the profit repairman, the in-law expert, the, the, the shopping cart queen, or whatever it is that, that you have an expertise in to make a cute little name for yourself because that really does stick in people's minds. 
So that was excellent. And he did have a lot of statistics in there, which I thought was great. He had a lot of sound bites, and he it seemed like he had me- media training because he was absolutely – he told about, um, you know, all of the things, what's in it for them. We talk about that all the time. You know, why should we listen to him? Because he – he told us that he was a successful business owner and consultant himself, so obviously it, you want to listen to him because he's done it. And how he went over how it could benefit the reader. Um, you know, it had the answers to being successful in this recession, which is a buzzword, this recession. That's what's going on now. So the media will be all over that. Uh, he talks about how you will receive very, very friendly and user-friendly, easy-to-understand things that can impact you, could put them into, into practice right away. So these are all things that are very... Um, uh, motivating for the reader uh, might have been interesting to have an example or two, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, what's interesting too is the the different takes we hear from different people, and I, I find that fantastic. You know, the the just think of the first three blurbs we heard were so very different from one another. Just like the the kind of books are very different. You know, Tom's here was very sales oriented. It was it came right out of you know what we would expect from business. You know. Um, whereas Danny's, uh, the one right before that, um, talking about uh, the teacher surviving on the salary, it's a very different kind of uh, business book. Um, and uh, and then to hear, uh, you know, it's just it's just fascinating to hear all these different varieties of, you know, how do you do a three minute pitch? You know, what's what what can you do in those three minutes? A whole bunch of stuff. Absolutely, yeah, I agree. It's very interesting to hear everybody's um, uh, way of putting it together. And, um, uh, you know, everybody has different strengths, and <laughs> this guy obviously has a business background, like you said, and it, and it shows. And I would absolutely buy this book over another success book because he sounds like he knows what he's talking about, and he had a lot of what's in it for you. And that's something else that, that you know, authors really need to concentrate on, especially in the nonfiction category. Really, really concentrate on what, what's in it for the reader because it ain't about us. It's about your reader, and what they need and what problem you can solve for them. That's really what's going to sell your book, word of mouth, because it's helped other people. And I always say this on every show. The only two things that you need to be a successful author are a passion for your topic and a sincere desire to help people. So when you have that sincere desire to help people and you let people know what's in it for them, that's really what's going to sell a book. Nice. Well, let's let's uh, listen to another one. Uh, this is uh, by a... Another team, uh, Judith Shervin and Jim Snikovsky, I think is his name, uh, but this is another business book written by a team. So let's listen to this one. Hi, I'm Judith Shervin. And I'm Jim Snikowski. We're a husband and wife psychology team and the best-selling authors of five books, and we are Internet marketers. Our most recent book is entitled The Heart of Marketing, Love your customers, and they will love you back. And it is number one bestseller at Amazon.com. Now, the theme of the book is that selling is spiritual service. Now, what exactly does that mean? It means the following, that we are all interconnected on this planet and in this life. We are all interdependent so that we co-create this life that we live together. Therefore, we all need each other. So if I have a problem that I am looking for a solution for and I go out into the marketplace and you have a solution that you know can actually work for me, it is your moral obligation to market your solution so that I can know about it because we all need each other. And then when I come to your brick and mortar or your virtual store, 
it is your moral obligation to take me through the sales process, to let me know what you have, because if the situation were reversed, then you would want me to do that if I had the solution for you. And in that sense, a solution and a really fine heart-based transaction is sacred, and that's what we mean by selling is spiritual service. And that is the basis for our book, The Heart of Marketing, Love Your Customers, and They Will Love You Back. Before we got involved in Internet marketing, we were psychotherapists for 17 years. We knew nothing about marketing, nothing about sales. Our business was entirely referral-based. When we got involved in Internet marketing just four and a half years ago, we were appalled by all of the hard-sell rhetoric, all of the combat-oriented beat down the customer practically to force them to get out their credit card. So in talking with other people, we came to the soft-sell, heart-based point of view, and that is the basis for our book. And what's in it for the reader, for the conscious reader, for the reader who's a soft-sell, heart-based marketer, someone interested in conscious capitalism? Well, they will learn from this book that they can bring their products and their services to market honorably and nobly. They can charge a price that is commensurate with the value. They can earn a living that is substantial and a profit, and they can do it all without selling out, without losing the integrity that they hold so dear. And The Heart of Marketing is the only book that shows you how to grow your business, how to build who you are, and how to heal the world and the planet. For more information, go to theheartofmarketing.com. We are Judith Chervin and Jim Snikowski, and our phone number is 702-870-3657. Dr. My, Kent? My goodness. Well, I, you know, in my opinion, that's, that's just about the best blurb we've ever heard on the air, but um, that's, that's my take on it um, from saying you know specifically how to get through to them phone number uh internet address to really a stunning new take on a business book and um the way they both spoke in this blurb was was amazing and it was recorded with cinch this wasn't uh something that they um recorded on their own home system or anything this was they called in and did this. So um, uh, as as professional and beautiful as that sounded, it was done live on the phone. Absolutely. I mean, I think the fact that um, they're coming from a from a therapeutic background as therapists, and they have uh, they have also the internet marketing experience as well as the, the uh, psychotherapy background. It made for a really really interesting and excellent mix. And obviously the underlying message is, is wonderful because a lot of people, a lot of artistic people, you know, and, and we authors are artistic people, we have trouble when it comes to selling our create, you know, our creativity. And I don't know about you, but, um, you know, we're both musicians, Kent and I, and I've always had a problem selling my creativity. Uh, when it comes to making CDs, I end up pretty much giving them all away as gifts and... <laughs> pretty much do that with a lot of other things that I create as well. And it's interesting to feel, to hear that their take on it is that it, it's actually sort of a perception shift. It's, a, it's your moral obligation to take people through the sales process because um, that is what you would want from somebody when they have a solution to a problem that you're seeking an answer to. So I absolutely loved the underlying message of this book, not even underlying, the message of this book it's absolutely fabulous, and I think it speaks to so many people, and uh, it, it definitely spoke to me. Yeah. 
Well, and I one something I noticed in your reaction to it is that you've already internalized it and are using the material that they are teaching, and you didn't even read the book. Well, yeah, got my mind rolling. <laughs> yeah, Thinking and to I, myself, yeah, I'm can, not going to feel. Can someone in a blurb really, in those three minutes, change you so that you're already thinking, oh, man, I could really change the way that I do this and that. They're really going to come and pick up your book then. Absolutely. I I agree with you. I thought it was a fantastically put-together blurb. They both spoke very well in terms of information deliver, delivery and clarity. Uh, they had they both of them were equally clear. They gave each other space to speak. It was a well planned out blurb. It wasn't like they were speaking at the same time. They both had equal equal time, and uh, they had a lot of information. And it it uh, they made sure that they said the title of their book several times. They gave a website and like you said and a phone number. And I absolutely love the title as well. The heart of marketing. Love your customers and they will love you back. And I love how they also made sure to get in there that they were a number one Amazon.com bestseller. And the next thing that they said, that selling was a spiritual service. So it was all very alliterative, and um, everything sort of hung together. They had one theme, and it, it all made sense. Very nice. And I like that word, alliterative. I, yeah. Yeah, good word. <laughs> Sally wins the award for best word of the day. <laughs> cool. Well, you know what I'd like to do? Um, um, I'd like to um, listen to the last blurb for the business category, and then um, I guess we've got a recording of a of an interview you did with uh, David Michael Slater uh, this week. Yes, indeed, I was able to pre-record that interview because he teaches at this time, so it'd be it'd be fun. It's, it was a fun interview, and I think you'll enjoy it. Well, very good. So let's listen to uh, Raymond E. Foster. Uh, in the business category, and let's see uh, see if he can knock our socks off here. Are you a leader? Challenge yourself. Leadership, Texas Hold'em style. The practical leadership book written by leaders for leaders. Challenge yourself. 52 chapters, 52 leadership concepts, 52 cards. Leadership, Texas Hold'em style. Vision, direction, determination, power, honor, action, and change are a few of the 52 leadership concepts. Challenge yourself. Leadership, Texas Holden Style. Available at www.pokerleadership.com. Well, it was short and sweet. Uh, it, well, yeah, it, it, was, it was more like a little commercial. I think that was about 20 seconds. My goodness, yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, the only thing to do with that, to, to expand it and turn it into something like a blurb, is imagine if you're on that elevator and you've got three minutes with, uh, with Oprah, and you only have 20 seconds of material, and you, you've got your backup band. They play a bunch of great music, but then after those 20 seconds, what are you going to do? Exactly. <laughs> so it's that a matter of yeah. yeah, it's a matter of fleshing it out, giving us some examples. I thought it was a great concept. 52, you know, 52 weeks, 52 cards, 52 concepts. I like that. I do too. It's a great marketing concept and a great concept for a book. I want to hear more. I'd, I'd like to hear him actually work on a blurb and, and submit it again. Yeah, and, and the next time, um, we love the music, um, as always. Uh, we're always tickled by music, um, but um, there's a few things to always think about with music. You know, I, I, I kind of like the blurbs that don't have it, um, because you can hear the power in a voice a little bit better, I think, without the music, is my perspective. Well, I think also it could depend on um, uh, the mix, whether you want to make sure that it's not overshadowing your voice. 
And as well, you know, people could think about having, like the way we do on Blurb, having music as a lead-in and, and fading it out, and then towards the end of the Blurb, bring the music up again. Something like that might, might exactly. do, do well as oh, well. Because it can, it, can, it can color it. You know, I, I would say the music is, is more color. It is, and it definitely sets a tone, and you can you can really, really uh, get people interested and excited just from the, the sound of the clip that you pick. So it's very, uh, very effective at times. So I say, I say let's listen to the last week's winner, and we've listened to all the business blurbs for this week, and, uh, and we're going to decide on the, the blurb book of the week, of course, uh, before the next show, um, and people can check that out online at blurbradio.com uh, or on the Blog Talk Radio site. Um, but I'd love to hear last week's winner's uh, blurb. What do you think? Yeah, I'd love to. And then we can chat about it just for a sec before we listen to this recorded interview. Here we go. Blog Talk Radio. Greetings. My name is David Michael Slater. I'm the author of over a dozen picture books, including Cheese Louise, 789, and Ned Loses His Head. My first teen series, Sacred Books, debuted this past year with The Book of Nonsense. Volume 2, The Book of Knowledge, comes out in October. You can learn more about me and all my books at www.davidmichaelslater.com. But I'm here to tell you about my first novel for adults. Selfless is a comic drama about identity and the many factors that shape it. Family, friends, race, religion, social class, among many, many others. Jonathan Schwartz is the main character, and we spend a great deal of time with him and his three best friends, as they navigate through high school and college in the 1980s. The book depicts adolescent boys in a hysterically graphic but true-to-life way as they focus most of their time and energy on things like Pittsburgh sports teams, Dungeons and Dragons, and filling out charts for rating the girls at school. Categories include face, chest, butt, legs, eyes, hair, clothes, sports ability, and lastly, for tie-breaking purposes, personality. John had two sisters, both serious challenges to his sanity. Nadia, the oldest, is a genius, but she uses her powers to raise the psychological health of anyone and everyone who wanders into her sphere of influence. Olivia, on the other hand, is an outrageous beauty, number one all-time at Taylor Alderdice High School. In fact, when she graduated, the number was nearly retired. There were thus many a school bus conundrum among the John's friends who had to weigh the risks and rewards of stepping foot inside John's house. When Olivia begins to dabble in adult films and Nadia's scheming reaches a fever pitch, John's friendships begin to unravel. John's father is a decorated novelist and an anti-religious crusader who nonetheless has secret meetings with religious leaders in the middle of the night. When he is accused of stealing the books that made him famous, the family comes apart at the seams. Last, but definitely not least, are John's grandparents, Minna and Leon, his mother's father and his father's mother, Holocaust survivors, saddled with some particularly odd tics, the worst of which is Minna's habit of telling anti-Semitic jokes. On a visit to John's Hebrew school class, she tells one of her more heinous favorites, after which the rabbi is dispatched to the Swartz household to intervene. His visit propels into action a story of grand theft, espionage, abandonment, suicide, sexual hijinks, and believe it or not, a quest for true love. You can order Selfless through any bookstore via my website, www.davidmichaelslater.com, or most easily of all, via Amazon. Thanks, and happy reading. Well, it's a great blurb from uh, last week's winner, uh, David Michael Slater. And um, 
if Sally has uh, averted her uh, uh, small disaster there. Were you were you able to mute me, by the way? <laughs> I was, yeah, but but I heard a nice little scream beforehand. <laughs> yeah, it was a little SpongeBob issue there, but we've got Very that resolved. Nice. We've all got SpongeBob issues every once in a while. So, <laughs> well, but you know, I think it's clear why David Michael Slater's blurb was was well done. I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't that it was you know over the top. It wasn't that it had background music, but it, it was just. Uh, uh, really fleshed out. We had a great picture of the story. There were some intriguing things that that uh, we wanted to know more about. Absolutely. And I, let's, I, uh, yeah. let's, let's listen to your recorded interview with uh, David Michael Slater, and uh, and maybe we'll get a couple words in edgewise uh, after the interview. Okay, I hope you enjoy it. Funny thing about interviews, um, I think the the clip of the interview we'll have to see uh, when it starts here. I think we're going to have a, a little bit of downtime before that. Tell me, um, tell me a little bit about the interview. Um, did uh, did you find anything uh, out that you you hadn't thought beforehand? Well, it was really interesting. I mean, this is a very very prolific author. He has. I'm not looking at his website now, but he has many many books. He has a screenplay. He he's written uh, fiction books. Uh, mainly he's a fiction writer, and the one book that he's uh, that's coming out soon, which was fascinating, and I spent a lot of time talking to him about this, was a a wordless picture book that he did not illustrate. So if you can wrap your mind around that, a wordless picture book that he did not illustrate. So in other words, he came up with a concept, and he was able to tell a story uh basically i guess almost like you know he he would almost like presenting a screenplay to an illustrator and they sort of had to illustrate the story through his words through his through his through his direction so to speak and i thought that was fascinating absolutely fascinating concept well we're actually playing the interview um but for some reason it's not showing up um and that's that's a very odd thing now, when um, I sent you the interview, were you were able to hear it that way? Oh, sure. Because yeah. yeah. I wasn't able to find it. <laughs> yeah, and it sounded it sounded good. Um, so let's let's just keep talking and uh, see if it just chimes in at, at some point here. That's it is still playing. There might just be some uh, some blank noise at the beginning. But uh, so let's talk about uh, in general. David. Hi, Sally. Oh, there How we go. Are you? So let's listen I'm to that interview. Good. Thank you for being here tonight. Oh my gosh! Thanks for having me here. Awesome. You know, uh, I think we should just go into it because the less editing we have to do with this MP3, the better. How do you feel about that? That's fine. No problem. That's great. Well, congratulations. You did a fantastic blurb. I mean, right away, I don't know if you heard the show, but right away after you did your blurb, both Dr. Kent and I were like, yeah, that was a great blurb. Have you had much experience uh, marketing your own books? Well, um Yes and no, as in no like uh, formal training, but yes, as in nobody else is doing it. So <laughs> what they've done oh, yeah. is done by me. I'm sure you know the story. Oh yeah, indeed. Well, you you're so prolific. My goodness, I I've been to your website and my goodness, you have so many books out: children's books, teen novels, adult fiction. You've got a film, and it's just it's just incredible how much how much work that you've done. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's strange to have so much work out there um, and still to struggle to get anybody to know about any of it. You know, it's amazing because uh, all but one book is very small presses, and many of the picture books are from a um, – actually fairly large, but a school and library publisher that um, catalogs directly to schools and libraries so they don't even go through the store. So different sort of experiences with all different kind of publishers. Some of them are brand new when, when my book came out, and so not, but all of them are pretty small and um, lacking the wherewithal to, to really market. Um, but on the, up, on the other hand, um, the upside I was going to say is that the experience of working with small publishers has just been great terms of revisions and just you can reach people and and they really really care so it's been exciting but none of this was planned for me overall Um, thinking about becoming a writer just sort of kind of fell into the idea as I was pursuing a degree in teaching so I didn't really have a plan um, which may be why I end up going in all these different directions (laughs) and I was just sort of uh, following where it goes well, this is just so great. I mean, I, I you did send me some questions, and I, I do want to get to those. But the, the the fifth one, actually, I wanted to ask you about that first because that kind of caught my eye the most. Um, uh, David, uh, for for those of you listening, um, David's written a, a wordless picture book that's coming out next month called The Board Book. And when I was looking um, on online at The Board Book, it looked absolutely fascinating, and I'm just going to read a little intro to that, and then maybe you can tell us about it. The board book, two board kids, bored out of their minds, bored, fighting bored. There's nothing but dusty old books in Grandpa's house. But when Grandpa opens a secret door in the bookshelves, brother and sister fall into an adventure they never expected, one that will change them forever, that is, if they survive it. Come along on this wordless adventure and experience for yourself the magic and power that can be found between the covers of a book. Now, this is so fascinating because I've never actually heard of a wordless book that you have not even illustrated. So please tell me about this. This is very exciting and very creative. And uh, the illustration that you put on your site here is just so captivating and compelling. And I know both my three-year-old and my seven-year-old would absolutely adore this book. Thank you so much. Yeah, the illustrations are incredible. They're by an artist named Doug Keith out of Seattle. So I'm very lucky that I wound up with him. And and people are um, slightly confused when I tell them that I have a wordless book coming out (laughs) and that I didn't illustrate it. But they're they're like, uh, how do I get that gig? How do I publish a book I didn't write? (laughs) Yeah, it's so awesome. (laughs) It's funny. Um, I don't know why I decided it to be this way. Um, but when I started with the idea for the story, it just occurred to me immediately that it was wordless. And it's really not that big of a mystery in terms of the manuscript. I mean, I submitted in paragraph form, and the first paragraph said something like, two kids are in their grandpa's house, bored to tears, or nearly killing each other on the couch. Um, And then next paragraph, grandpa looks up, uh, then stands up and opens a secret door in the bookshelf, revealing some steps. Next paragraph, kids are running up to the attic. So as you might imagine, this went through more revisions maybe than a typical manuscript because I didn't really have a sense of how many pictures would even fit in the in the book or anything like that. Right. So it took a lot of collaboration first with the um, editor. This is published by Simply Red Books in Canada, really wonderful little publisher, um, who was open to going just in almost any direction that the book would take. So a lot of work breaking it up into something that they thought would fit, and then a lot more work again with the illustrator who was um, 
who I collaborated collaborated with pretty closely. So, so tell me, how how many pages did it end up being? Um, as a manuscript or as the final product? As as the final product. Um, they managed to do it in a standard thirty-two page book. Um, it's it's a square book though, and that was one thing that they were happy to do, which really gives it a kind of neat look. It's very cool. And what are the dimensions? I'm just fascinated because I like to work with trim sizes a lot, and it it looks like a really cool. Yeah, when I saw the square, I thought it was very cool. So how? What are the dimensions? I think it's ten by ten. Oh, and is it actually hardcover, like a like a mm-hmm. cardboard book? Yeah, it's hardcover. Okay, I mean, is are all the pages like made of hard cardboard? No, no, like, no, they're regular. That would be oh, nice you too. Yeah, no, regular uh, standard looking pages. Oh yeah, because sometimes when you see when you say the title the board book, you think it's a, like a you know a kids like a toddler board book. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that I thought. Yeah, I get a lot of reaction just from the title, which is which is great. Yeah, but it's really such a fascinating concept. And do you know anybody else that has done a wordless picture book before? Not that didn't illustrate it. No, it's funny. I didn't do extensive research, but I I poked around a little bit, and you know, there's famous David Wiesner books and um, and all these other guys that do both some of which are pretty famous and well-known. But I haven't found anybody now that uh, wow. that wrote it but didn't illustrate it. So my name's on the book. It doesn't say, it doesn't say the board book written by. Um, it just says David Michael Slater up there on the cover over the illustration. The illustrated That's name. pretty cool. And, you know, I guess that kind of leads me into my next question, which is about I noticed that you have a film out, and um, I guess this is kind of along the same lines of creativity where you're sort of writing almost a screenplay for your board book and now you've got this film. Can can you talk a little bit about Mocha Cola High? Sure. Yeah, and th- that probably is a very similar way of thinking. It was much more visual, picturing each scene with that picture book. Um, I hadn't really thought about it, but I, I'd have to agree with that. Mocha Cola High has been um, is in development, so it's a script that's under option by a little company called Right Angle Pictures, who's trying to um, get financing for it. It's um. It's a satire about a global corporation that dominates the world. They're called Mocha-Cola Corporation. And they use these special elite high schools called Mocha-Cola High to control the very few people left in the world that can think for themselves. That's the idea. Cool. There's like a little bit of of Heathers mixed in with like Stepford Wives and uh, maybe Truman Show thrown in there. Oh, this is great. So did you actually write the screenplay and submit the screenplay? Yes, exactly. Okay, that's that's great because that's that's really an art in itself. I mean, writing screenplays is a whole different ball game than writing a book. So, is this something Very. that you've studied? I mean, I I know that um, there, there's rules and regulations, and there's there's certain there's very very strict rules about screenplays and all sorts of um, different techniques. And you, did you study the scre- the screenplay technique? No, <laughs> no, not really. I actually, you know, as I mentioned at the very beginning. Um, I'm a psych major, and I maybe had one creative writing class. It's just nothing that I was preparing or thinking about in life. Um, everything has just been sort of experimentation. So with the screenplay, um, I wrote it as a, at first as a sort of a novel in, in letters and emails type of thing, um, and it didn't really work, but I still like the idea. So I have a, a friend who's a screenwriter, and I asked him for one of the screenplays, and I just sat down and imitated all, you know, tab, 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 and space, 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 and, and right. here's the abbreviations for this and that, and I basically just experimented with it. 
Yeah, because uh, I know they have software now, specific software for screenwriters, so that they get you know the spacing that. right and what? Thanks for that. I did find my way to that software eventually. Oh, that's, that's so cool. Me. Well, it kind of reminds me of something I did, which is um, uh, when somebody asked me if I had uh, an idea for a reality show, and I said, well, yes, I do. I mean, obviously, when somebody in the media asks you a question like that, you always want to answer in the affirmative, like, yes, of course. <laughs> and so I knew nothing about writing a reality show treatment. But what I did was I asked a friend if I could take a look at uh, a treatment that they had prepared, and I basically modeled my treatment after that and um, was able to get an agent interested in my reality show treatment, which is called Super Nanny to the Newlyweds, <laughs> because the book that I wrote is called The Daughter-in-Law Rules, and my idea was that I would go in and, uh, uh, you know, there would be a pairing of a bride and a mother-in-law from very different backgrounds and cultures and, you know, lots of uh, just natural um, tension there, and I would come in and, of course, teach the brides, the art of making friends with their husband's mother, and uh, there would be a lot of comedy involved in the screenplay. So, not screenplay, but the reality show. But the idea of just, you know, I'd never done anything like that. I'd never written a treatment before, but just said, yeah, sure, I'll do it, and exactly. took one and pat, patted myself after it. After it. So, yeah, I kind of have to just jump right in. <laughs> exactly. I try to give that advice to, to writers. Is what do you have to lose? Exactly. Yeah, you just got to go with the creative flow sometimes and just have an open mind and, and realize that, uh, you know, it's not so scary because you wouldn't have anything if you didn't try, so you might as well just try. Right, and, you know, so you get one more rejection letter. It's, exactly. <laughs> but this is so cool because what I wanted to know was um, it seemed you mentioned that you had a lot of different publishers and so tell me about like how many different publishers all of your books are under and how it's all split up. Because um, you know, I have I have several books out right now, and there are also various places here and there. And how did that work out for you? Yeah, uh, it's just that. Uh, well, I guess what I found is that um, you know, if your book sells a million copies, then your publisher will just ask you what your next book is, and then exactly. your next book. Um, but until you're at that point, and your name is worth some sort of minimum number of sales, I have found anyway that you have to find each time an editor who, for whatever sometimes crazy reason, is absolutely in love with your book. And so that's what I found. Uh, you know, I had to keep going out and finding someone. Fortunately, I've been able to do it. Um, but that search just continues. I mean, I, I try to share a quick story about how idiosyncratic this process really is. It's another thing I try to get people to understand, you know, you may have a, a great product and not find the right home for it. My first book was Cheese Louise, a um, picture book about a Swiss cheese who thinks that her holes are are um, going to hold her back from being chosen out of the refrigerator. <laughs> Sorry, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I sent that book to many, many places, many, many rejections, and uh, it finally wound up at um, another Canadian publisher, actually, called White Cat Books. And I got a call from the uh, the guy in charge there, Robert, and he said, David, we just read Cheese Louise, and we really loved it here, and we want to publish it, and you'll never believe it. And then he says exactly this, I've been dreaming my whole life, about publishing a book with vegetables in it. Oh. So, you know, and I then your next with, sentence was, well, cheese isn't a vegetable. <laughs> no, there's plenty of vegetables in the fridge. Oh, good. Story, so I should have mentioned that. Um, <laughs> so it was good. you know, And I share that with kids, and, and there's usually a big dramatic pause there when I ask how lucky that was. And, and then they kind of get it, and I say, I wouldn't, you know. And I, I also am hauling out my three gigantic notebooks of rejection letters, and, and that usually gets some jaws dropped, and, 
there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And anyway, the point I try to make is, if you give up because just because of rejection letters, you're not going to get to that point where you get lucky. Exactly, and, and of those, course, yeah, we all know the story about how uh, the chicken soup for the, chicken soup for the soul people, Mark Victor Hansen and uh, Jack Canfield got something like 213 rejection letters and. Now they're the best-selling authors in the world. So you never know. You just got to keep believing in yourself. I tell everybody that you've got to have two things to be a successful author, a passion for your topic and, and a sincere desire to help people. And obviously you have a passion for your topic, and that's partly why you've been so successful with Thanks. getting people to be passionate about your stuff. And I wanted to ask you about the experience that you've had with distribution because even you know even when you get a book – uh, picked up by a publisher, that's just part of the puzzle. Then, of course, there's the whole distribution arm and whether or not they can convince the buyers to pick it up and put it in bookstores. So tell me about your experience with, with distribution. Sure. I mean, there's been many eye-opening experiences along the way, and that was one of the bigger ones, to find out you have a book published. There are thousands of copies around the country sitting in warehouses, and that's where they'll stay until someone asks for them who doesn't know about it. So right. that was a shocker. Um, so, yeah, I've struggled with that all along. Um, just if That's the marketing problem. If your publisher doesn't have, say, catalogs to every manager and not even remotely have the chance of having, like, a sales force to go out, then basically your book is sitting there and you're, you're hoping for reviews and you're hoping for word of mouth, and, and the competition is just unbelievable. Um, my new novel for adults is, is they have national distribution, but it isn't – um, one that everybody uses. So sometimes I have trouble even here in Portland with Powell's Bookstore. It's not one of their preferred distributors, so I'm having trouble getting it there. And you know, it's and then the street really store a, down yeah, the street might have it. It's just a, it's a long. And it's very eye-opening. I mean, it's like it's it's. I always tell authors that you know it's um it's really even the authors that that you know just starting out i a lot of the times tell them listen it's even better to self publish your first book until you get a platform because until you get a platform it's going to be almost nearly impossible to get in bookstores and you might as well use your book as a calling card to try to you know get speeches and and go out there and just use it as a calling card in order to get other kinds of things relating to your expertise such as uh, counseling and maybe uh, coaching and that, that kind of a thing, because the dream about getting into bookstores, even with a, with a major publisher, is is really not what you think. Yep. I hear that advice for nonfiction a lot, um, and I understand it has the slight advantage of um, if, if you can find a connection to the news and you have a nonfiction book, it's often news. But um, as I found with my publicist, um, Fiction is just absolutely brutal unless you happen to have written the book about Afghanistan, you know, right when the, the world is focused on it. I am totally de agreeing with that because um, as a non, you know, nonfiction author, I also have had the experience of trying to get into the national news. And the way that I have done it is by being timely, and that is the number one secret for getting PR. I was able to get on Fox and Friends by tying into the story that when Obama's mother-in-law was moving into the White House, I pitched a story about, you know, how can I give tips, I'm going to give tips about how to best get along with a mother-in-law, and that was the topic of my book. And you have to be creative as, as a nonfiction author 
it's a little bit easier, but I can only imagine as a fiction author, you're right, if it's something about what's going on with with, uh, with the uh, economy or with, with war or, or something like that, you have a better chance of getting national publicity. But, wow, I can yeah, only I imagine how difficult it must be to try to get publicity for your for your fiction books. But I just yeah, yeah. love your Sorry. fiction books. I mean, they're so cute, and they're they're so adorable, and the, the illustrations are fantastic. Now, do you have a whole array of illustrators? Yeah, there's a couple of uh, couple of guys that have done multiple out of I'm not sure how many there are. I think 16 or 17 now. So um, one one guy's done two or three, and another's done two or three. But otherwise, it's just different people, um, mostly chosen by the publishers. Yes, I was going to ask that if you had any say in the in the illustrator. I have with these small publishers. I, I found that there's a directly inverse proportion. Um, I mean, directly inverse relationship between the size of the publisher and how much input you'll have. So they, the one book I had with a reasonably big publisher was Clarion, Houghton Mifflin, and they said, here's your illustrator and you'll see the work when it's done. And right. All the, and that's exactly what happened. And, and all were, the you, other, were you pleased? I was, as it turned out. I'm, I'm still slightly um, I'm regretful of that situation, because when I look through the books, there are just a couple of really funny little tweaks that I could have suggested, just just little tiny things, but funny things, you know, but it was never given the chance to contribute that way. That's unbelievable to me that a, ma- a major uh, subsidiary of Mifflin would not give the author a chance to review the illustrations that go along with his book. That well, blows my mind. That blows totally my standard, mind. Totally standard for the big publishers. I, From oh, what I understand, it, it, they, they say it just doesn't go well, and they don't want the, the two to have any any connection at all and I, I find it hard to believe because now I've worked with I don't know 12 other illustrators and not a problem ever and I feel really part of almost every other book no I did all of the other books I feel like I was able to you know I will it's usually the editor that I'm giving feedback to and the right. editor takes what they like from my feedback and I just appreciate the chance to give it and and um, I, I think the product comes out better well gosh well, it's been a real honor to uh, listen to the interview that Sally did uh, uh, this past week. Um, are you still there, Sally? I'm still here. So I guess we'll see you next week, and uh, we've had a good time, and we'll announce the winner in between now and then. Shall we Shall we play the last uh, bit of music? <laughs> you love that music. <laughs> You know, I did, I do. I originally wanted that to be actually the uh, intro music for the show, but the outro music, it works just as well. Very nice. Well, I'll see you next week, and uh, it was a great interview. It was fun to listen to, and uh, uh, what a book he has. Oh, yeah, totally great book. I had a great time listening to uh, all the blurbs today, and your great, uh, um, I can't even think of words, crit- uh, critiques, criticisms, and it was it was a really fun show. Cool. So we'll see you next time, and uh, uh, good luck with the SpongeBob issues. (laughs) Thanks. Have a great afternoon. Bye-bye.